Yes, the fair's this week. Plan on being a part of it. Yes, I plan on being there too. Yes. Well, last weekend, I didn't talk about anything that happened last weekend. It was kind of a wild weekend around our, our, our country. I keep wanting to say community, town, and state. It was quite an event around our country. You know, in El Paso, there were 22 people killed. And, and less than 24 hours later in Dayton, Ohio, which, by the way, my sister, my oldest sister, the, you know, and you know the oldest one always wants to mother everybody else, that sister, um, lives in Dayton, Ohio. But she wasn't close to where the shooting happened there. And, and there were people dead there. But did you also know that last Sunday there were four shootings in Salem, Oregon? Four. And, and did you know that in Chicago last weekend there were 17 shootings? That is kind of normal for there. Uh, they have, in Chicago, they have um, microphones set up in the toughest neighborhoods so that the police, if guns go off, it's sent to the police right away. And uh, one of the shootings, it was like two minutes long that that went on. Seven people died and 46 were wounded at that on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday in Chicago. Kind of a violent place. Franklin Graham said, it's a heart issue. That's what he said. He said, if we have Jesus... And by the way, Oprah Winfrey said it's because we have no moral compass anymore, which makes it a heart issue. But Franklin Graham got in trouble for it, saying that if we had Jesus, if people were accepting Jesus into their hearts and and God was moving on our country, these things wouldn't be a problem. Now, before I get to the responses to Franklin Graham and who they came from, the CDC, you know, which is the... Um, Disease Control, Center for Disease Control, they also track violence around the world. And did you know that violence around the world has dropped in the last 10 years? Almost every year it's dropped. That's what the CDC says. Violence and violent deaths has dropped. Did you know that that, um, four of the five most violent countries are in Central and South America? Brazil, Colombia, El Salvador, Honduras. And and did you know that the United States isn't even in the top ten as far as violence? But it's been dropping every year. And and of of the violent deaths in the United States, less than half of them are from guns. Others are from vehicular homicide, you know, drunk drivers, drug related, um, Domestic abuse, robberies, suicides, you know, um, and we keep hearing how terrible things are getting. But we know in the Bible it says that things are going to get that way. But we also know if we read history that nothing's changed. There's still violent deaths. 
It's just that now we are so, if you want to use the, the secular word, evolved, that we can kill people from afar. We don't have to be up close to do it. And by the way, those violent deaths include war. They include war. Um, and so Franklin Graham said it's a heart issue. If we as a nation turn back to God and accept Jesus, things would change. Now let me read you a response from Andrew Tarrant. This is in El Salvador. It's entitled, Do Not Pray for El Paso Unless It Is a Prayer of Personal Action. Unless You Are Willing to Change Yourself, Do Not Offer Any Words on our behalf, unless you are willing to beat your guns into plowshares, unless you are willing to call your congressman, call your neighbor, and invite them to your table and join your active prayer for justice. If you have no such prayers to offer, listen. Listen to the word of God. Listen to the cries of justice. Listen to the actual cries of mothers and fathers and sisters and brothers. The simple fact of the matter is, Nowhere else in the world does this happen, literally nowhere, not even in the places we are afraid of immigrants arriving from. Nowhere there are many solutions, but nothing will change unless you change. Pray only if you are willing to lay down your own guns, literally and figuratively. God may ask this of you. Peace and love, Andrew. We do know that it happens other places. We know that. Um, Now, listen to this one. I'm not judging Franklin Graham's motives here. I'm sure he's sincere, but it's important to understand that this is a common way to embrace the status quo of allowing somatic sin to go unchecked. When the gospel is personalized to the point that you can ignore institutionalized racism, it gives governments, empires, principalities, and powers a pass. Empires love religion that is confined to inner piety and doesn't speak truth to power. Uh, Statements such as grams were used by preachers in the 60s to try to neutralize the civil rights movement, is what they said. And then they ended it with, of course, Jesus is the answer, but that does not mean we should protect the empire from Jesus. Another person said, it's caused by white men and their racism. Neil deGrasse Tyson, have you ever heard of him? He's a scientist. He said this in the past 48 hours, the U.S., Horrifically lost 34 people to mass shootings on average across any 48 hours. We also lose 500 to medical errors, 300 to the flu, 250 to suicide, 200 to car accidents, and 4 to homicide. Often our our emotions respond more to spectacle than to data. He also took that post down because they called him a racist. He's black, by the way. And and insensitive. And, And each of those that I read about how this doesn't happen anyplace else ever and and all those numbers I never investigated, but I'm willing to bet that they weren't exactly true. 
They had some truth, but they weren't exactly true. And I'm willing to bet that I got your danders up. My prayer this morning was that I would step on somebody's toes. I'm here to step on toes. Because the left blame it on Trump. But the shooter in Dayton, Ohio, was extreme left. And it became politicized almost instantly to the point of, um, I watched a a teenager interviewed from two years ago from a school shooting. And they, he had survived the school shooting and helped people be saved from, from the shooting. And CNN wanted him to ask uh, some questions of the congressman. Well, the first they said, we make a statement. And he said, sure, but we want to see it. So he wrote it out and they said, well, could you just ask questions? And he said, okay, but we want to see your questions. He said, okay. And, and he wrote those out. And they sent back and said, ask this question, which was none that he had mentioned and he chose not to be part of it because he said I'm not politicizing the death of my friends and and seven people an hour in the United States die a violent death and here's a statement that came it was so profound It said, we will never create enough laws to control evil because evil does not obey laws. And so let's go back to Franklin Graham saying we need Jesus. And those two responses that I read back to you about um, don't pray for us unless you're willing to give up your guns. And uh, yeah, if you just have Jesus in your heart, that means you're for the government and not for change. Those two were pastors. There are pastors that said that. And both of them um, kind of poo-hooed the idea that we need Jesus. And in our lives and in our churches and, and in our relationships, we can get very upset, and I'm speaking from experience here, within the last week, we get very upset if somebody offends us or we think we're offended. Very upset. And if we are going to be the church that God's called us to be, we have to deal with that. So that's what we're doing today. That doesn't mean it's dealt with. It means that we have started. And so today I'm reminding you, by the way, that's a sunset taken behind my house a couple weeks ago. Uh, It was gorgeous out. It looks better if you look at that monitor. The picture show up, the color shows up a lot better. But anyway, I'm here to remind us. That it is a spiritual battle. Greg, is the toggle button pushed over under settings? I'll help you. Um, It's a spiritual battle. Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6, starting with verse 10. 
I know you poor thing, you got stuck with this job. You go, settings, that one. Now I can control it. Ephesians 6, starting with verse 10, we have to remember it's a spiritual battle. Ephesians 6, 10 starts with this. Finally be strong in the Lord and His mighty power. This is the last chapter of Ephesians. And he talked about in Ephesians 5, Paul talked about how we're supposed to submit to each other. Husbands are supposed to submit to their wives. Husbands are supposed to give up their lives for their wives like Jesus gave up his life for the church. And, and the very last verse of Ephesians 4 says, submit to each other. And, you know, about six weeks ago I said, submit means allow others to influence you. And so he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And so let me clarify that it's not against when it says rulers, it's not against the king of England per se, and it's not against whoever has authority over us like every, you know, every teacher can tell you a story about a kid who has fought their authority. But it's talking about the kingdoms that Satan showed Jesus when he was tempting him. You know, the, not, not just the physical kingdoms, but the spiritual kingdoms. And because Satan isn't Every place at one time, he's got it set up. Rulers and authorities and powers of this dark world and spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, he has it set up. So it's against all of those. All of those. When we get to Daniel, we'll read about how Daniel prayed and fasted for 31 days and, and on the, or 21 days and on the 24th day, it says that the angel of the Lord came to him and said, I would have been here sooner, but the prince of Persia was fighting me. And if you wouldn't have been praying, Michael would not have come and freed me so that I could come. The prince of Persia, a dark power. So it's against those and those spiritual forces in the heavenly realms that we're battling. And so we have to live in truth. And let me back that up for a second. So I'll tell you how we need to fight. And I don't have it up there. You're lucky you can just write it down. This is how we need to fight. First one is to pray. Actually, right before you write any more, write Second Chronicles 7.14. First, we need to pray. Prayer is not preparing for a battle. Prayer is actually the battle. 7.14. Second Chronicles 7.14. The second one is we need to seek God. Lots of people pray without seeking God. The third one is we need to humble ourselves. Fourth one is we need to stop doing evil. 
So it becomes do as I do, not do as I say type of thing. We need to stop doing evil. The fifth one is do what God asks of us. Do what God asks of us. And the sixth one goes with humble yourself. Because it's check your heart before, check my heart before I start getting a speck out of somebody else's eye. Check my heart before I start getting a speck out of someone else's eye. It's like when I was in college, this is just an example that um, I I was working at a place. They offered me a cigarette, and I said, no, I don't smoke. And as they're puffing, they're going, boy, I wish I didn't smoke. I tell my kids not to all the time. It's a tough one. You know, and, and... there's nothing that I can say or do that will help them except I'll pray for you. But we have to work on those tough things so that, that we can be acting and following the way that God wants us to. So we have to live in truth. But without love, truth does more harm than good. And that's out of First Chronicles 13. If I speak in tongues of men and angels, 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in tongues with men and angels, but do not have love, I'm a resounding gong. And we might know the truth, but if we don't have love, it does more harm than good. 1 Timothy 1.5 says the goal of this command is love. And I put in parentheses, that's me that did that. Jesus, a relationship with God. And, and you read in, in First and Second John where God is love. So if the goal of this command is love, which that means the goal of this command is God, the goal of this command is love, the goal of this command is a relationship with God, and that comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. It, it becomes difficult for us, and we'll get back to, you know, the, the violence and, and gun things. And the next scripture, because I'm giving you a whole bunch of it, is Ephesians 4, 2 through 7. See, there it is again. Be completely humble. My translation That I say in my head is be completely humble, be completely gentle, be completely patient. And then they say bearing with one another in love. Have you had to bear with somebody? Other translation says put up. Put up. Put up with each other in love. Put up with whatever. You know, I, Elise isn't here. I can use her. She says, Dad, you chew too loud. And I'm going, I'll put up with it. <laughs> and sometimes it's things that, that they just upset us, but they don't really matter. They just upset us. They don't really matter. So we have to put up with each other in love. And then it says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. 
Do you know what that means? That means that, that Satan and or humans are going to do all they can to tear up the unity of the Spirit. Do you know, you know what bond is? The bond that you always see on TV right now is Gorilla Glue. That holds things together. So what is the, the, the glue that holds us together? Peace. But not physical peace, which we'll talk about in a minute. I'll even jump ahead to give you a preview. Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace. As in world peace. So the peace that it's talking about is the peace that we have with God. The peace that we have with God. I know people. You may know people. I, I went to a seminar where the pastor said, I pray, he has a church of 2,000. I pray for each person by name every day. He also added, I sit in the hot tub and do it. And I'm going, well, I could do it in the hot tub. But I can't always do that. I pray for you guys. Sometimes it's a group prayer. But I pray for you guys. And, but, you know, and then there's other people that, you know, I read my Bible for an hour. Martin Luther prayed for three hours a day. And when he had a very busy day, he prayed an extra hour just to make sure. And I would say that would be a man with the, the spiritual gift of prayer. But we're all supposed to pray. But we don't necessarily have to beat ourselves up for... Do you know the way that I pray the best? Is when um, I'm either walking or driving or out in the woods or my wife says, what are you thinking about? And my pat answer is Nothing. I, I, you know, and sometimes in, in the moment, my prayers are better than they are other times. But we have to, you know, just because you don't pray like me doesn't mean you know God. Just because you don't pray like Martin Luther doesn't mean you don't know God. Just because you listen to country music doesn't mean you don't know God. Just because you listen to rock and roll doesn't mean you don't know God. We have to put up with each other. Like Barbara in the Bremerton Church, and I know I told you this, but I want to remind you about it. When the youth group got so large, I let the pastor, who was Scott Shaw, I asked, who's our district superintendent, he's still my boss. So in Bremerton, I said, you know, I've got too many kids to do just Wednesday night. Can I do Sunday night, too? And he said, sure. Uh, it took some talking and, and um, a lot of praying and finally said, sure. So Sunday night, when the rest of the church was in church, I was in the youth room with junior high kids. And I had music playing. And, you know, I grew up in the 60s and 70s where if it wasn't on 11, it wasn't loud enough. That's why I can't hear now. But I had the music up and Barbara came into church and she was a wonderful lady. She volunteered in, in the church office. Um, she was a wonderful lady. And she said, I was on my way down to tell you to turn that music down. And I came around the corner and saw all these kids I didn't know. 
and had never seen before. And I apologized to God, asked forgiveness and went in the sanctuary. That's putting up with each other through the bond of peace. Because there were lives being changed. And even though she didn't like it, she knew that God, and that's what we have to do, put up with each other in the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as we are called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as God appropriated it. And when we're putting up with each other, it becomes more than that because it becomes love. And one of the things as we step into trying to focus more on young people like these names of these kids that we have, you guys are going to be asked to pray specifically for one or two kids each week and their families. And you know what happens when you pray for somebody? Your attitude changes. And I'm not saying you have a bad attitude, but your attitude changes. Like, I didn't know there were so many red dodges in town till I got a red dodge. Now everybody waves at me because there's like five of us, you know, and and until we become aware of something, we don't necessarily notice it. And so we're going to do that. And you also have to know that that. We have to start living by example. Not condemnation. Why do I say example? John 3.17 For he did not send his son into the world to judge the world guilty, but to show him a better way. And just two or three chapters later in John, Jesus said, the, the father judges, but he doesn't judge. He gave me that authority, but I don't judge either. The words that I have spoken that they don't follow will judge them. And what Jesus was saying is, I'm just here to love them. I'm here to show them the way to do it. I'm here to show them who God is. I'm here to show them how we should be relating to God. And I'm here to show them how we should love each other. That's what I'm here for. It's what he said. And so we as Christians have to start living by example. By example, Matthew 5, 43 to 48 says, You've heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say, love your enemies. Do you hate that? Love your neighbor and hate your enemies, but I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. And you have to remember that Matthew, one of Jesus' disciples, who wrote this book, was a corrupt tax collector. 
If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. And that means that perfection is you can't do it. Only God can do it through you. And if God saved you, he wants to save everybody else too. And so we have to live in that presence. And this is Jesus talking again. Because he didn't come to bring world peace. He came to bring peace between God and you. And a side effect of that peace is peace this way between us and others. But first we have to have peace with God. And when, I, when it says in here, or I said, not peace with the world, Jesus didn't come to bring world peace. The world is defined as the devil and his desires and everything that's against God, as defined in Ephesians chapter 6. That's the world. It's not the people in the world, because our battle's not against flesh and blood. Look at Jesus' disciples. He had Matthew, who was a tax collector for the Roman Empire, and he's considered to have sold out to the Romans because he was a tax collector for them. And then you have... The zealot, I think his name was Judas, not Judas that betrayed Jesus, but the other one. A zealot, which means a zealot was committed to do anything they could to overthrow the Roman Empire so that the Jewish Empire could rise again. Uh, Back in the 70s, we would have called them guerrillas. Now we call them terrorists. Jesus had both of those. And he says, do not suppose that I came to bring peace to this earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And you know that happens today. That happens today. We, you have heard missionaries tell stories about Muslim people that have turned to Christ and their family has killed them or turned them into the, to the police or disowned them or on and on. But it doesn't just have to be Muslim, by the way. I've known people that have gotten saved and their families who... You know, spent more time in jail than out of jail, says, what are you, better than us? We don't want to have anything to do with you. And when we follow God, things like that happen. And we have no control over it because Jesus said it's going to happen. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever, Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. It's tough out there. Because Jesus was also known as the Prince of Peace, and this is found in Luke 2.14, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. And again, it's not 
not peace with the world. We're reading Jeremiah. Jeremiah was warned by God, it's going to be tough. And he said, if you don't do what I tell you to do, this is God talking, then I will take it out on you. Peace with God. And when we're found in his favor, and on whom his favor rests, those are the ones who have turned to God, their sins are forgiven. And our job becomes, by the way, reaching out to others so that they can have that peace too. Do you know what the purpose of an apple tree is? I've asked you this before. To make apples, right? No. The purpose of an apple tree is to make apple trees. That fruit falls to the ground, plants a seed, and another apple tree pops up. There's fruit on it. That's a good byproduct. But the purpose of the tree is to make other apple trees. The purpose of a Christian is to make other Christians. And you've got to know the world's going to hate you with a passion. It's going to hate you. Matthew 5, verses 2 through 12. That's the Beatitudes, right? Blessed is he, blessed is he, blessed is he who sorrows, mourns. Blessed is he who is persecuted. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. And you know peacemaking is not an easy job. It's not a peace lover. It's a peacemaker. Think about that. It's not a peace lover. We all love peace. But it's a peacemaker. A peacemaker is the one that goes and said, I screwed up. I'm really sorry. Please forgive me. A peacemaker is one that steps in the middle of a fight and says, we got to stop this. A peacemaker is the one that says, we, you know, is willing to step in there. What did our army used to be called? Peacemaking troops. We went around the world and created peace in nations where there was none. And so blessed are the peacemakers. Tough job. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Franklin Graham said, it's a heart issue. We need Jesus. The response was, Yeah, we don't need that kind of Jesus. We need you all to put your guns down. And we need you all to, you know. And it becomes an attitude problem. And Jesus went on to say, Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And you know the prophets were almost all of them killed. And so the world's going to hate you. I'm, you know, I already read all these to you. I'm going to skip right through you. Matthew 5, 21 and 20 through 26 says, You've heard it said to people long ago, you should not murder anyone who murders will be subject to judgments. But I tell you 
that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Against anyone who says to be brother or sister, Raka is answered to the court. And anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are uh, offering your life, at your gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversaries. Who is taking you to court? Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge will hand you over to the officer, and you'll be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until your debt's paid. So it says, brother or sister. And then there's the story of the prodigal son, which talks about who's your neighbor, and it's a man gets robbed, the the priest, the Levite, walk by him, and the Samaritan, the hated one, comes up and, and takes care of him. And Jesus said, who's your, bro- who's your neighbor? Who was the neighbor in this? And the answer was the Samaritan who was hated by all Jews. There was actually a law that said any good Jewish man cannot talk to a Samaritan or they'll be ruled unclean and can't go into the temple. You know who the Samaritans were, right? They were half Jewish. They were the, they were the tribes that became Israel. And, and Samaria was where their kingdom, their king was. So they were kissing cousins at least. You know, and, but they're not like us. So, you know, they turned their back on God. Unlike us, we have never done that as they rolled their eyes. And what I'm saying is, who's your neighbor? And what this story of the Good Samaritan says is, a good neighbor shows mercy no matter who they are. No matter who they are, we have to show mercy. We have to be a good neighbor. Now, I know I picked guns as the point to get your attention. But guns are the hot topic right now, but, you know, 20 years ago, it was cigarettes. And then just after cigarettes, it was drugs. And, and before drugs got so prevalent in the last few months, it was over-the-counter opioids. And, and so you go back before cigarettes, it was seat belts. And, and there's always a hot button that people rally around. And that's okay to rally around, and it's okay to be on both sides of the issue. Like I keep mentioning country music, I'm not on that side. And, but, but that's okay. I can still have a decent conversation and treat people like they're humans. Jesus said in, in Mark 12, 29 to 31, there's only one God. And he also said to love that one God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. And the second one is like it. Love your neighbors yourself. And who's your neighbor? Anybody that's not you is your neighbor. And to be a good neighbor, 
We have to show mercy no matter who they are. It doesn't matter if we're philosophically different or politically different or religiously different. We still have to show mercy because God showed mercy to you before you were even born. He died on the cross for our sins before we were even born. And, and what he said in Second Chronicles, and when you mess up, I will do this. And he said it in Isaiah. And he said it, you know, we've read it all through the Old Testament. And when you turn your back on me, this will happen, but I won't stay angry forever. And you will turn back to me. And I will forgive you for my sake, even though you don't deserve it. I will forgive you for my sake. Back to the hot topics that we face. Politics are a big, hot issue. Always in the news we hear about it. And it doesn't matter who we listen to, we hear about it. We don't always hear the good things, and we don't always hear all the bad things. And the truth is, we really don't have to hear any of those things. We need to seek God. Because my job is not to convince you to have guns or get rid of guns. My job is not to convince you to vote for this person or that person. My job is not to convince you to like this kind of music or that kind of music. My job is not to convince you to eat this food or not eat this food. My job is to convince you that Jesus Christ is the, is the root And the issue is not what we approve or disapprove of. It's what's in our hearts. That's the issue. And we have to hold on to Matthew 7 where where Jesus said, Why are you trying to get the speck out of your neighbor's eye when you have a post in your eye? I used to have a really cool graphic of a guy with a post and what... What always went through my head is, can you imagine being around him every time you turn around and getting whacked with the post? You know, and it's very obvious to everybody around us, but it doesn't seem to be obvious to us. And it becomes a do as I say, not as I do type of thing. And people just poo-hoo us and walk away. And one of the sayings that I hold on to greatly is you can't lead somebody to Jesus if you're not going to Jesus yourself. You can't. And so we have to, before we can change the world, we have to change. Oprah was right. We have no moral compass. That's our problem. And Franklin Graham was right. We need Jesus in our hearts. And then we have to step out and do things and... and You know, it's whatever God asks us to do. And some of the things that God asks us to do are not going to be popular. Isaiah, chapter 20. We read it just in the last month. Do you remember Isaiah, chapter 20? God said to Isaiah, take off that, those clothes and take off those shoes. And for three years, Isaiah walked around naked and barefoot. I keep praying that 
God won't ask any of us to do that. But it was to say, this is, it was an object lesson. This is what's going to happen to you when you go into exile because you do not follow me. Or Ezekiel had to lay on his right side for 180 days. Do you know how long that is? Six months. Then he had to turn over on his left side for 90 days. So for, and God said, and to help you do that, I will tie you down with, with cords. And this is to show the people that they have turned their back on me and this is what will happen if they don't change. It's not going to be easy to show mercy to people that aren't like us. It's not going to be easy to, to love people that don't love us. But Jesus said, hey, the tax collectors do that. We need to show that we have God. And so a good neighbor shows mercy. And it's time for us to turn to God, not the government. It's time for us to turn to God and not victimhood. And it's time for us to turn to God, not anti or pro anything, but God. Because we need God first. All these other things that get our dander up need to come second. And they need to be directed by God. I will never tell you who I'm voting for. And I will never tell you whose side I'm on when it, you know, when it comes to this or that or the other thing. But we as a church need to be like Jer- when Jeremiah crossed, crossed um, the river, the Jordan River, to look at Jericho. And he saw a mighty warrior that looked like the Son of God and, and said to that mighty warrior, whose side are you on? Us or theirs? And what's the response? He said, I'm not on anybody's side. I'm on God's side. Whose side are you on? And we need to choose to be on God's side. And to be on God's side requires prayer, wise acting, wise speaking. And Jesus in our hearts, humbly seek God. And no matter what's going on around us, we can show the love of God. We can show the love of God so that people can see God. We can do that. We can do that. So my questions for you are, I apologize for going over. That's not my question. Will you seek God? Will you humble yourself before God? We look for ways to follow God's leading instead of the world's. And this one I didn't mention, we become unoffended. Do you know what the main cause of offense is? Pride. Did you know that? That's the main cause of offense. 
It happens in my relationship with my family, with my wife. It happens in my relationship with people around. You know, it happens when I'm driving and somebody cuts me off. My pride says, those idiots should not have done that. Can't they be better drivers? And it's pride. And so when we humble ourselves in God's presence, it should be more difficult for us to be offended. And when we humble ourselves in God's presence, it should be more easy that we can show mercy. Because when we're offended, we can't show mercy. We can't. We want to pay him back. So those are the questions I have for you. What you do with them is what you do with them. My suggestion is that we as a church seek God and we as individuals do that and that we pray and that we seek the truth. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. What we hear from the world, this includes the media, the TV, the books, everything, Jesus said, is... Spoken from your father, Satan, whose natural language is a lie. And so those people that don't know God need our grace. It may not change their stance on things. It may not change their political party, but it changes their future. And just like during World War II, there are Christians on both sides of the battle. In the United States, there's Christians on all sides of the battle. We need to pray. And we need to be stuck together with peace. Let's stand together.